Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. I said to Charlie on Friday, I, th I think that I'm going to have to make this sermon a, a two-part sermon. Um, and the more I look at this passage, I reckon it could easily be you know, a two-part or even a three-part sermon. You know, there's so much jammed into this portion of scripture, it could take you know, possibly you know, two, three sermons uh, with all the cross-referencing and so forth that you have to do. And uh, we probably won't get a, a real lot into this chapter. Uh, but in this passage, we have the Apostle uh, Paul pouring out his heart for his own people, uh, who are the Israelites. And Paul, he was an Israelite himself. And we see in uh, Romans 11 verse 1 that he was a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul had just penned down uh, some of the most comforting words that we have in the Bible uh, for a born-again Christian. If you just look back there and look at Romans 8, uh, verse 38, we read there, he wrote, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The book of Romans, it's often been called the gospel, according to Paul. Uh, it is one of those uh, books of the Bible that gives a clear, concise documentation of salvation through Jesus Christ. And when we meet someone, when we're going out on the street or we're witnessing to somebody, it's, uh, we often give people uh, the, the book of Romans, uh, accompanied with the book, the gospel of John, uh, because the gospel of John, it tells a man that he must be born again. Uh, through believing in the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the book of Romans tells a man what he must do to actualize it. We read in Romans 10, verses 8 to 11, But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, if, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Amen. A continuing theme of the book of Romans, uh, at least up until chapter 12, is Paul showing the difference between a false salvation and a true salvation. Paul had been saved out of a false salvation, uh, and but a false salvation that many of his own people, uh, being the Jews at this time, still held on to. Throughout the book, Paul, while proclaiming salvation, which is only by the grace of God through faith, uh, he's also mindful uh, of the way he used to think. And uh, he addresses that false way of thinking along the way. Uh, at times, he anticipates uh, what an objector to his message uh, might say, and he addresses it, and we see that a lot in, in chapters 3 of Romans. But we have to understand what brings the Apostle Paul uh, to declare his heartfelt sorrow for his own kinsmen, uh, his own brethren, uh, that is, according to the flesh. Uh, what is it that makes him so grieved for them? Uh, what is it that, he, uh, that his own people are trusting in for salvation? What, what is it? And we're going to look at two things in this passage. And Number one, salvation is not attained by being born into it. It has nothing to do with your bloodline or what you were brought up in. 
And number two, salvation is not attained by the good things you do or keeping the law. There are many people today that profess to know Christ and when you ask them uh, when they were saved, uh, many come back with an answer, well, you know, like, I've always been a Christian. You know, a lot of people say that or I've, I've always gone to church, mm. these types of things. Well, growing up in a, in a Christian home and the knowledge of the truth, uh, it's a good thing. That is a good thing and there are a lot of benefits for those who have gone to Sunday school, heard the preaching uh, of the word and even may have godly parents and so forth uh, and you know, they've taught them godly truths. Uh, that's a benefit. And, uh, but the experience and the knowledge of these things is not salvation but can only lead someone to salvation. Paul acknowledges that even the Israelites uh, had a lot of benefits and look at some of the benefits they had in verse 4 of our passage. Look at verse 4 in Romans chapter 9, uh, who are the Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever, amen. So the Israelites are in a sense God's chosen people. God made covenants with the Israelites. God started uh, the nation of Israel and God, according to his promise, is going to finish with the nation of Israel. All the promises uh, of, of, of God were given through Israel. Our Saviour Jesus Christ himself came through Israel. In this sense, Israel are the chosen of God and in this sense they are called the children of God. In Deuteronomy 14 verses 1 to 3, when Moses uh, was delivering all the scriptures, uh, sorry, the statutes and the judgments to the Israelites, Moses said to them, he says, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any boldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art an holy people, that's a set apart people, unto the Lord thy God. And the Lord has chosen thee to be a peculiar people, unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. But we've got to understand, and what we have to understand is that Israel were not chosen by God to the neglect of the other nations. They were chosen by God for the purpose of being a blessing to the other nations. The Lord gave a promise to Abraham that through his seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. In Genesis 22, 15 to 18, we read, And the angel of the Lord, Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate at, of his enemies. And listen to this. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. The blessing was then confirmed to Isaac, Abraham, that's Abraham's son in Genesis 26, 24. And then the blessing was then confirmed to Jacob, that's Isaac's son. Uh, in Genesis 28, the Lord spoke to Jacob through a dream. And uh, we read there in Genesis 28, verses 13 to 14, And Jacob, he went out from Be Beersheba and went towards Haran. 
and he alighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set and he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and lay down in that place to sleep and he dreamed and behold a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God ascended ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac the land where whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed in Genesis 32 the Lord changed Jacob's name to Israel if you were brought up in Israel you had a lot of benefits you were more responsible the truth was right there in front of your face it was right there in front of your face the same can be said if you're brought up in a Christian home you have a lot of benefits as far as being more responsible the truth is right there in front of your face the other nations still had a responsibility to turn to the Lord as well and the Lord uses the nation of Israel to be a light unto them and the Lord accomplishes what he needs to accomplish and the message of salvation and the means to accomplish it will go forward regardless of man's disobedience it will and at times Israel were very disobedient they were very disobedient but the problem that Israel had for the most part uh, and not everybody and not all the time but definitely by the time Paul was writing his letter to the Romans is that they thought that because they were called the children of God that all, with all these benefits then that means that every individual that was part of that nation was automatically a spiritual child of God this is what they thought they were trusting in the wrong thing for salvation they were trusting in their family upbringing they were trusting in their knowledge they were trusting in their bloodline uh, they were trusting in their own ability to keep the law to save them instead of trusting in the lawgiver the Apostle Paul in our passage uh, in Romans uses the nation of Israel to show that just because you may have a godly upbringing or you may have a, a lot of knowledge or you may be in the right family or you may even be an Israelite and be part of the nation that is called the children of God but that doesn't automatically make you a spiritual child of God it doesn't the Apostle Paul here shows a physical example to convey a spiritual truth and uses the nation of Israel to, con to convey that truth so the truth that Paul is conveying in this passage is this this is the, what he's trying to convey in the same way that not every one born to, to Abraham according to the flesh is automatically deemed an Israelite in the same way not everybody that is born an Israelite according to the flesh is deemed a spiritual child of God look at verse 6 look at Romans 9 verse 6 not as though the word of God hath taken none effect for they are not all Israel which are of Israel so even though Israel had arrived at this point where Paul was so grieved for his own people it's not as though the word of God had failed or taken none effect no God still accomplishes what he needs to get done 
And uh, just, just as not all the physical seed of Abraham are Israel, neither are all the physical seed of Israel a spiritual child of God, even though being called a physical child of Abraham. Do you understand that? God is always able to accomplish his purposes and it cannot be thwarted by man. If God promised he was going to start a nation for a purpose, then God will see it through and accomplish that purpose. He will. But for being an Israelite, relying on your bloodline, relying on your knowledge, relying on your law-keeping, relying on your upbringing, it would be a hard thing to hear that not all Israel is Israel. What do you mean? You know, that hurts the pride. That hurts the pride. Look at me, I go to the synagogue. You know, I was raised an Israelite. How can you say that I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not of Israel when I'm of Israel? This is what, you know, the, the prideful uh, child, according to the flesh, would say. Uh, we, could, we can even hear this today, you know. What do you mean? Look, I go to church. I, I was raised a Presbyterian. I was raised a Catholic. I was raised an Anglican. I was raised a Baptist. I was raised a Christian. Look at my history. Look at my family. I keep the law. I'm a good person. How can this be? Paul now begins to show that even in the physical example of the formation of Israel, it was up to God who the physical des descendants will be. Even though you may have been a physical descendant of Abraham, like Ishmael, that's Isaac's brother, it doesn't necessarily make you an Israelite. Look at verse 7 of our passage. Neither because are they the seed of Abraham, are they all children? But in Isaac shall thy they, shall they seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise. Remember that word promise? Accounted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. See, Abraham's wife, Sarah, she could bear Abraham no children. Sarah and Abraham thought that they had to take the matters into their own hands to direct the promise of God. And that's the promise that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. And, and that in his seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Sarah gave Hagar, the Egyptian handmaid, to be his wife. So Hagar conceived and Ishmael was born. But the Lord had already promised that Sarah will have a son. That's the promise. That's what Lord, the Lord promised. <coughs> For an Israelite, reading this, it should be starting to sink in, especially one who thinks that he is acceptable to God based on his bloodline. Uh, in the physical example, Ishmael was also a descendant of Abraham according to the flesh. But that didn't automatically make him a physical descendant of Israel. It just didn't. Uh, what made a person an Israelite or a physical child of God was according to God's promise. And that promise was that Sarah shall have a son, not Hagar. So we also see Paul use this as an allegory in Galatians 4, verses 22. So turn to Galatians chapter 4, and we'll look at this. So when we think of allegory, we must discern that that's exactly what it is. It's an allegory. It's not necessarily the very thing itself, but used as a, figur a figurative to convey another thing. Now, this is really important to get, uh, especially when reading our passage today. 
And Webster's 1828 dictionary describes allegory like this. It's a figurative sentence or discourse in which the principal subject is described by another subject resembling it in its properties and circumstances. The principal subject is thus kept out of view and we are left to collect the intentions of the writer or speaker by the resemblance of the secondary to the primary subject. So did you get that? The allegory is used as a resemblance to collect the intentions of the writer. That's important when looking at our passage today. Don't get caught up in the allegory. Don't get caught up in the allegory. We'll be looking at this word promise a lot. It's important to get this right uh, to help us understand our passage today. So the primary subject that we're, look with, that we're, gonna, we're looking at today is that a spiritual child of God is one that is born after the promise of God. The secondary subject which we are looking at is the allegory, where, the, where a resemblance can be seen that the physical children of Israel were also born after the promise of God. So turn to Galatians. We've got Galatians chapter 4. And look at verses 22 to 26. Galatians 4, 22 to 26. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. This is an allegory, okay? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which tendereth the bondage, which is Agar or Hagar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So here we see in this allegory, that Hagar represents bondage. We also see that the Jerusalem that now is, is in bondage with her children. But we also see another Jerusalem which is above that is free. This is the spiritual Jerusalem. Remember this is an allegory that Paul is using to convey a spiritual truth. Not all Israel is Israel. There were always true believers in Israel and always false believers in Israel. The word promise is very important. The physical aspect of the promise in the allegory pertains to the children of Israel. The spiritual aspect of the promise in the primary subject, which Paul is addressing in our passage today, pertains to the promise of God to be a spiritual child of God through faith. The book of Galatians gives us more on this word promise. <coughs> Even the physical aspect of the promise given to Israel leads to the spiritual promise which is by faith of Jesus Christ. The promise was not given that a man might be saved by the law. The promise was not given that a man might be saved by, by his bloodline. The promise was not given that a man might be saved by his upbringing. The promise was not given that a man might be saved even by the word itself being the word promise. The promise was not given that a man might be uh, that the promise has meaning. The promise has an end. The promise has a purpose. The majority of the Israelites, especially at the time of Paul's writing, missed what the promises were about. 
They thought that being an Israelite according to the flesh is what saves a man. They thought that this was the promise. The promise was given that a man might be saved by faith through Jesus Christ. That's why the promises were given. That's, this is where Paul is going here in Romans. Yes, the physical aspect of the promise to be an Israelite, a child of God in that sense, came through Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But for what purpose and for what end? That purpose is Christ. That purpose is Christ. The spiritual aspect of the promise to be a heavenly child of God came through faith in Jesus Christ. Because not all Israel is Israel. Not all Israel is Israel. Turn to Galatians 3. Look at this. Now you're going to see the word of promise. That the, you're going to see the word promise a lot in this passage. Now look at Galatians 3 and look at verses 13 to 14. <clears throat> so the law was given through Israel and it, and it serves a purpose. It shows us that we are cursed and uh, in need of a saviour. That's what the law is for. Uh, look at verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The blessing of Abraham, what is that? Well, here we see the blessing given to Abraham leads to the promise that a man might be saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ through faith. Look at verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith, and not to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So look at that. The promises that were given to Abraham were given to Christ. One looking forward, the other looking backward. It wasn't all about the Israelites. Yes, they played a big part in God's plan. And God has still got a big plan for Israel. But salvation is through the promised seed, and that seed is Christ. Look at verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. See, the promises given to Abraham and to the Israelites wasn't that they would be saved by being an Israelite or by the law. And people like Abraham knew this. People like Abraham knew this. Jesus said to the Jews in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. In Romans 4, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, What shall we, uh, then, what shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But many thought that being chosen by God to be an Israelite meant that they were chosen for salvation. No, they were chosen by God to bring about the means of salvation, which is Christ. They put their confidence in their flesh, their law keeping, even trusting in their chosenness mm. for salvation. 
The promise to be saved was never through the law. Look at verse 18, Galatians 3 verse 18. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So what was the law for then? What was the law for? Well, it has a purpose. Look at verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. It was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So there we see it was added because people are disobedient. It was added to keep people in line. The promise to be saved from sin wasn't through keeping the law given to Moses. The law kept people from going right off the rails. It shows how sinful mankind really is. It shows how righteous God really is. You throw out God's ways and see how quickly a nation turns wicked. It does. Look at verse 21, Galatians 3, verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. We read in Romans 5, verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. That's why the law entered. The law could never save anyone. It can point to the one who can, though. It was the law that brought Israel back to their knees in repentance. We see in 2 Kings, in chapter 22, in the reign of Josiah, Hilkiah the high priest, he found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And when it was read, the king rent his clothes. And Israel, I got right with the Lord. It was added because of transgressions. It was added because of transgressions. John 1 verse 17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So the promises, or the law, all these things point and lead to the promise itself. And that is that by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, a man is saved by faith. Look at verse 22 in Galatians 3, verse 22. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. <coughs> Verses 23, Galatians 3, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. For as many of, uh, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is very important. We need to understand the promise and what that means. It gives us an understanding of where Paul is going in our, in our passage in Romans. If you miss where he's going and focus on an isolated verse alone, 
you could end up thinking just like a lot of these Israelites that the promise to be saved by a random decision un for unknown reasons to a select personal group that doesn't lead anywhere or make any sense. Many have fallen into that trap. Yes. Not because of the scripture itself, there's nothing wrong with the scripture. But usually it's because they'd rather listen to a man instead of studying it out themselves. The problem with Israel is that they had a hard time accepting that salvation is actually unto all, Jew or Gentile, by the grace of God through faith. It has nothing to do with your flesh or your bloodline or your upbringing. This is why Paul arrives at this heartfelt sorrow for his own kinsmen. He even says that he would take their place if it were even possible. Cut off from Christ. It grieves him that much. It grieves him that much. The question to ask is, does it grieve us? Does it grieve us when we have family or even friends who have a form of godliness? Mm. But they deny the power thereof. They might even say the right things from time to time. The name of Jesus might be on their lips. But in works they deny him. Does it grieve us like it grieves Paul for his own kinsmen? See, the Jews, they were looking... And they were waiting for Jesus. Yeah, they were looking and waiting for Jesus. They were waiting for their Messiah. The name Jesus means Saviour. But the majority, especially by this stage in their history, were looking for another Jesus. They were looking for a Jesus, a Saviour, that fits their idea of salvation and righteousness. They were going about to establish their own. We have to make sure that we have believed in the Jesus of the Bible. There are many today that believe in a Jesus that promised to give them a better life in this world. There are many that believe in a Jesus that promised to save men from their sins so that they can continue in it. That's, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. We should be grieved like Paul was grieved. No, the Jesus of the Bible, he came to save us from our sin and to give us eternal life. He wants us to live for him, set apart from this world. That's the Jesus of the Bible. 1 Peter 1.15 says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Jesus didn't come to excuse sin. He came to save us from it. To continue in it should grieve us. Amen. That's if we've understood and believed the Jesus of the Bible. It should grieve us. But Paul said about his kinsmen according to the flesh, in Romans 10 verses 1 to 3, he says this about them. He says, Brethren, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal, zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So it's one thing to talk about the righteousness of God, but it's another thing to submit yourself to it. That's another thing. The theme of salvation through faith by the grace of God in Jesus Christ runs right through the book of Romans. And Paul constantly hammers it home. And we see it in, in chapter 1. Turn to Romans chapter 1. 
Let's follow this through. <coughs> Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We see it in chapter 2. Look at Romans chapter 2. Paul says here, he says, <coughs> for, he, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is of men, but of God. There it is, not all, not, not all Israel is Israel. We see it in chapter 3, Romans 3, look at verses 20, 20 to 26. It says there, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, look at this, and it's unto all. And it's upon all them that believe. Why? Because there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, <coughs> to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. We see it in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and look at verses 13. We'll read from verses 13. Look at this. For the promise, there's that word, that he should be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which have the, of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Look at this. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Look at this. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. You see that? There's that word promise again, to the end, the promise. The promise leads to Christ, that a man might be saved by faith. We see it in chapter 5. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and look at verse 18. I'll read from verse 18. Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. 
For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. <coughs> so the promise given to Abraham to his seed leads to the promise itself, and that seed is Christ. So we don't get to dictate to God who he will save and how he will save. We, we don't get to dictate to God who he will save and how he will save. This is the problem that Paul was dealing with with his own kinsmen. They were going about to establish their own righteousness. The point Paul is making is that just like it was up to God to choose who the physical people of Israel would be, he also gets to choose who the spiritual people will be. And just because you may be one of the physically, the physically chosen people of Israel, that doesn't make you a spiritually chosen person. Because to become a spiritually chosen person, you must believe in the righteousness of God, which is unto all, Jew or Gentile, and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. That's what we just read in Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned. Jews have sinned. Gentiles have sinned. Salvation is to all. Paul's message to the Israelites here is just as God elected who the physical people of Israel would be and it doesn't rely on the flesh or the bloodline, let God also elect who the spiritual people will be and it doesn't rely on the flesh or the bloodline either. It relies by the grace of God on faith. Amen. And thanks be to God, anyone can believe. Amen. This is the message and this is where he's heading in this passage. This is where Paul is heading. Well, we're gonna, we'll stop here, but I'd, and I'd love to keep going with this passage. But I said this, this is a jam-packed passage. And uh, it's going to take more than one sermon to get through. And I'm still really, oh, I love it. It's, uh, and, uh, but we're going to finish with this. And if the Lord, if he leads, leads me to continue in a series on this, another one or two on this passage, and we're always going to finish on this passage that we're about to read each time. It's always good to know where Paul is going. It's always good to know where he's heading. You've got you to read things in their, in, in their context. Um, and, th and this is where we'll always end up at the end of each series, right here. And, and just look at the end of Romans here. Look at Romans chapter 9 and look at verse 29. Now this is why Paul is so grieved for his own kinsmen his own brethren according to the flesh. This is, this is the reason why, right here. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been like Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? So even just given what we've just looked at in the first part of Romans here, this is it. What shall we say then? This is where Paul's leading. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why or wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, faith but as it were by the works of the law for they stumbled at that stumbling stone as it is written behold I lay in Sion 
a stumbling stone and a rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever. I thank the Lord for that promised seed. I thank the Lord for that promised seed. Because I'm just a whosoever. Oh, that's, that's all I am. Are you just a whosoever? Because if you are, then you too can trust in the righteousness of God. The one thing I do know is that you can't go about to establish your own righteousness. You can't do that. It has to be done his way, not our way. And this is what the problem was with the Israelites. They were going about to establish their own righteousness through the law. Well, we've got to do things his way. So let's pray.